The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Turn with me, please, to First uh, Peter chapter three, and in verse seventeen, Peter says, "For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well doing than for evil doing." For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved, by water, the like figure whereinto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. I want us to consider for a few moments the comparison that um, the Apostle Peter makes to uh, Noah and his family in the ark, and baptism now saving us. In uh, years past, whenever um, I've tried to uh, speak from this particular text and, and uh, frankly heard others speak from this text, um, the um, approach that typically is taken um, is this is talking about getting baptized. But you notice that the language um, is in the present tense. Right. That it's not saying uh, baptism will now save us, right. but doth now save us. Yes. Not only so, the verb to do there is uh, active, which is to say that it is the baptism that is doing the saving. Mm -hmm. So that um, our baptism is now saving us is what uh, Peter is saying there. Our baptism is now saving us. Now that's a curious statement if you think about it because uh, we tend to think of baptism as an event, that it has a beginning and an end, that when a person um, is uh, touched by the sound of the gospel, pricked in their hearts, um, experiences conversion, receives the gift of the Holy Ghost um, as the assurance of their hope of eternal salvation, and are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise that they will come forth, present themselves to the church, um, seeking membership, and um, will submit to baptism. In doing so, they are imitating um, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And um, by the ceremonial um, significance of um, immersion, baptism by Immersion, a believer being baptized by immersion, um, they are in fact making um, symbolically a profession of their faith that I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ um, as the finished work of salvation. And so we think of baptism, tend to think of baptism in those terms. But here, um, Peter is saying that there is a lingering impact um, of baptism that continues um, even after the act of being baptized um, is completed. That baptism um, is now saving us. 
Well, that begs the question. How is baptism now saving us? Certainly it's not um, saving us from the standpoint of being born of the Spirit of God. Um, Peter is making that point when he says it's not for the putting away of the filth right, of the flesh. Right, right. So if the act of baptizing doesn't uh, put away the filth of the flesh, um, and the, the condition and ongoing impact of, in, of baptism is not for the putting away of the filth of the flesh, then there must be some other salvation that's under consideration. And I would submit to you that that salvation that's under consideration has to do um, with the um, change in thinking and with the influences that the child of God comes under as consequence of being baptized and maintaining the active role of baptism in their lives. Amen. If you'll go with me for a few moments, we'll go over to uh, uh, Acts chapter 2. And I believe in Acts chapter 2, um, Peter, who is speaking here, um, explains to us again, and, and of course Luke has written this, and some of the narrative is, um, is of Luke's, but, but um, nevertheless, he explains how baptism doth now save us. And I'll, uh, uh, I'll give you a spoiler alert in all this. The way baptism now saves us is that it brings us into fellowship with other people who are being saved by their baptism and we influence one another. And not only do we influence one another, but we influence people who haven't been baptized. Um, and uh, that's what Peter is talking about over in where we just read a few verses above that when he said, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is within us. <clears throat> that um, when we are living according to the principles of our baptism, um, it distinguishes us from uh, most other folks. And that distinction uh, is one that folks appreciate. Um, they, they see the impact that it has on us. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment and want to know why we're different. Right. Want to know why we're different. In Acts chapter 2, there is a great ingathering in the church. He begins in verse 40 and says, And with many other words did he, speaking of Peter, testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now I want to stop right there. And set a little bit of context. You all know that I'm, I'm stuck on context. Amen. And set a little context. This is the first sermon preached that is recorded in Scripture after the Lord has gone back to heaven. Right. Right. It's being preached in the city where he was crucified. It's being preached to some of the same people who crucified him. So that when Peter says, save yourself from this untoward generation, if he doesn't explain what he means by save, these folks don't have a clue. Right. Do you see that? Yeah. That there has to be uh, an explanation of the salvation that he has in mind um, right here in his teaching, or they'll never understand what he's talking about. Amen. 
Now, we have the benefit of looking back at the situation um, and having many other scriptures. And we know, for instance, that this untoward generation was under God's judgment um, and that many of them were going to die in just a few years um, at the hands of, of Roman uh, uh, tyrants. But they didn't know that. They didn't know that. So he says, save yourself from this uh, untoward generation. Then uh, Luke says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And that same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, if you go down to the end of this chapter, you will understand that that phrase added unto them um, is another way of saying, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Okay, so... The point being is that um, baptism is not an isolated event uh, that you do from the standpoint of being a loner Christian, so to speak, or a loner disciple. There's no such thing as a loner Christian or a loner disciple. <laughs> that um, that um, when one makes a public profession of faith and is baptized, uh, they are baptized uh, uh, after the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and being so baptized are added to the church. Are added to the church. And so he makes that statement here. <clears throat> that were added to them, such as should be saved, and that same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then he begins to characterize um, the circumstance or the situation of these 3,000 souls. He says, and they remained steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, <clears throat> steadfastly carries the idea of unwavering or um, remaining consistent. And if you look at this, you see that um, what he is talking about here is that they um, remained or maintained a high level of interest in the apostles' doctrine. That they believed the apostles' doctrine, and believing the apostles' doctrine, they sought to um, understand it even more, and in understanding it even more, they were even more resolved to believe it. Amen. <clears throat> that um, uh, they... Um, uh, as the Bereans did, search the scriptures to see if these things uh, be so of God. And, and from that standpoint, there was a steadfastness. Now, steadfastness carries the idea of standing in a place, um, remaining immovable. And what we see here um, is that a conversion of lifestyle occurred. That these people went from being a rebel-rousing crowd that um, uh, murdered um, innocent prophets or the Messiah himself. <clears throat> and now um, they were standing in a place um, where they were taking lessons from the people that took lessons from the man they crucified. Amen. They remained steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Not only did they remain steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, <clears throat> but in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. 
So now they had a new lifestyle. They had a, a new um, a definition of the activities of their lives, and that was to um, hear the gospel preached, to um, study the preached word in light of scripture, to uh, fellowship with one another, to break bread with one another, and that carries an idea of caring for one another, um, and to pray. I submit to you um, that that description um, fits all of the activities that should be the first priority for the child of God. Amen. That's right. He goes on and he says, and, <clears throat> and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man um, had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their manna with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, what we have here is a description of a people that are committed completely to God. They're, they're steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. But uh, as part of that being steadfast to the apostles' doctrine, they're also wholly committed to one another. Amen. Do you see that? Yes. <clears throat> that um, uh, in the circumstance that they had in this particular day and time, <clears throat> when you were a Jew in Jerusalem, um, uh, you were under the tyranny of, uh, of a corrupt law service priesthood, and you were also under the tyranny of a corrupt um, civil government uh, of the Romans. And, and from that standpoint, if you did something that displeased either one of those entities, um, you could suffer great harm. Right. And becoming a Christian displeased both of them. Amen. It was not uncommon. As fact, in fact, it was the general rule that if you became a, if you were a Jew and you became a Christian in Jerusalem along about this time this was before they started throwing him in prison <clears throat> but if you became a Christian and you were a Jew and you were renting your house from another Jew you didn't have a house anymore and if you were working a job for another Jew you didn't have a job anymore and so when it talks here about selling their possessions and sharing all things in common, um, what it is talking about um, is staving off um, uh, 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 starvation, if you will. <clears throat> that these were, an for the most part, were an impoverished people and the few things that they had, um, they shared with one another so that um, the, the sense of this is what, um, whatever I have, if you need it, uh, you've got it. And the point of all of this is um, that the Lord is going to sustain us. Do you understand that when you sell all your possessions, you don't have your possessions anymore? And, and if you take that money and you buy food and you eat the food, now you don't have any money, you don't have any possessions, you don't have any food, you don't have anything. 
Okay? And that was the kind of faith that these folks were um, exercising, being steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, sharing their food with one another, fellowshipping with one another, opening their homes to one another um, where uh, possible, or just sharing a blanket or a tent if that's all they had. And in prayer. And don't you know that those prayers were thanking God for the gift of eternal life and begging God for providential deliverance. Amen. Yes, sir. That should be our prayer um, this evening. To thank God for the blessings that we've received of eternal life and to petition Him um, for the true needs that we have in this life. And then, after he's described this circumstance of these behaviors, he begins to talk about the impact. And the impact is the salvation that he had in mind. He says, And they continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So far from feeling victimized or entitled in some way or put upon um, because they were believing in Jesus Christ and they were being persecuted as a consequence of their belief, uh, far from that, um, they ate what the Lord provided with gladness. Amen. With gladness. And with singleness of purpose. Singleness of heart. Now what do you suppose that singleness of heart might have been? Was it to fill their bellies? I don't think so. If it was to fill their bellies, if their single purpose in life was to have a full belly, um, becoming a Christian was not a good way to prove to achieve that, that end. Their singleness of heart was to serve the Lord. Now I want you to, for a moment in your own mind, put yourself right in the middle of that circumstance. It's normal to get discouraged. You know, when you're doing everything that you know to do that is right, and things are just getting harder for you, it's normal to get discouraged. But here is the beauty of their singleness of heart. They each understood that it was not about me. Their singleness of heart um, was to give glory and praise to God, not only um, by ascribing glory and praise to God, but by ministering to one another and to others that were um, suffering in like manner. And so they had singleness of heart, and it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, um, I'll conclude with that thought, because um, in another place, um, Peter talks about uh, we having joy unspeakable and full of glory. And he's talking about that in the context of suffering persecution. And, and um, here they are, 
um, they're praising the Lord. And in praising the Lord, they're finding favor in all the people. Do you understand that that uh, finding favor among all the people, that, that didn't include um, you know, the, the temple priests. And that didn't include the Roman garrison. Okay, the, All the people um, are all the people that were added daily. You know, that's all the Lord's people who have singleness of heart. And do you understand that this is such a simple salvation? And, it, and what simple in concept, it's such a simple salvation. And it's one that we can all get our minds around. These folks were having a good time. They were having a good time. They were enjoying one another. They were serving the Lord. And it was producing joy unspeakable and full of glory. And they were happy. They were happy. And I submit to you that that is the salvation that baptism provides. I don't have time, or I'm not going to take time um, to get into it. But I just want to leave you um, with this thought um, concerning that. That the salvation of baptism has to do with the social orientation of baptism. Amen. It's social in its initiation in that um, it is a commitment of you to Christ. And it brings you into a social band. And when that social band is functioning the way that it's supposed to, everyone that's participating is happy. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.